Hello, my wonderful friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and uh, this is episode number 26, and the second part of a two-part series that I'm calling Instant Replay, where basically we're looking back at season one, which ran from September uh, through December, and we're replaying the two most downloaded episodes Uh, Last week, we replayed the conversation, interview, whatever you want to call it, that I had with Dr. Alexander Shia about his book, Heart and Mind, and we talked a whole lot about the Gospels of the New Testament and uh, looked at them a little bit differently than maybe we might uh, typically do in church. Uh, It was a really great um, conversation. I would encourage you to go back and listen to it if you have not. And uh, this week, uh, we are replaying the most downloaded episode uh, of season one, and that is my conversation with Dr. Phil Snyder. Uh, We talked about LGBTQ um, inclusion uh, in the church, and uh, basically uh, the title of the episode was entitled uh, What the Bible Really Says About Homosexuality, and uh, we kind of went through some of the, uh, what's known as the clobber verses, the big verses that the church typically pulls out Um, to clobber LGBTQ people with um, and telling them that their lifestyle, their life, their entire being is uh, sinful and wrong and makes God angry. So we looked at all these different verses. Basically, my big question to him was, you know, if we're going to be an inclusive people, um, how do we read these verses? These verses that seemingly um, portray homosexuality to be a sin uh, how do we read them if we're going to be an inclusive people? And it was very eye-opening just to look back and understand the some of the different pieces of context in those verses, uh, what they mean, what they were maybe originally written for, what was going on in the world at the time uh, that these verses were written. So just very interesting conversation uh, with Phil, and uh, you are definitely going to enjoy it. And one thing I will say is that this is a topic that oh man, people are just all over the spectrum on this thing in the church. I know for me. I used to be all the way on the side that said homosexuality is a sin, um, all that different kind of stuff. I know the clobber verses were memorized in my mind, uh, but now I've kind of moved to the other side, and I, I don't see it as a sin at all. I don't think that God is upset with um, LGBTQ people. I think that they ought to have the same um, rights and sense of inclusion that everybody else has in the church. Uh, so definitely have kind of shifted my mindset on it. Um, but Phil is, is a really knowledgeable guy. So if, you, if you're wrestling with this, if you have questions, um, if you don't understand something, if maybe listening to this episode brings up something else in your heart, and your mind, uh, reach out to him on social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Um, he will respond to you. That's how I got a hold of him. I just tweeted him, and um, he said he would come onto the podcast. So he definitely obviously reads his tweets. Uh, so go on there, find him, tell me you have some questions, and I'm sure he will set up a time to talk with you or message with you or, you know, something like that. So uh, this is episode number 26, again, uh, the second part of a two-part series called Instant Replay, and uh, it's my conversation with Dr. Phil Snyder. And, uh, oh, (laughs) I should say something else really quick. Um, I've been updating you on my dissertation, and it is coming along. Part of the reason why we're doing this two-part series is because, quite frankly, I don't have the time to create anything new um, in this month or so season of my life. It is crunch time. Dissertation is due uh, on February 1st. I handed it in in 
uh, on Halloween. It was read by the advisor. He sent it back, a whole bunch of changes, handed it back in uh, early January. He read it, handed it back to me, a whole bunch of changes, handed it back in again. He read it again, handed it back to me, changes. So I'm in the last phase right now, and he told me that the next time I hit send, he will most likely declare it ready for defense, which means it's pretty much done, and uh, I just have to go up to New York uh, to meet in front of a board, uh, present my dissertation, they ask me some questions, and they either say, yes, uh, we'll see you at graduation, or <laughs> sorry, not going to happen. So anyway, um, it's, been a fun, it's been a fun journey. Um, it is very busy, but I am enjoying um, every moment of it. I love school. I am a nerd at heart. Uh, so this has been a really fun process for me. It is stressful, for sure. Um, I am exhausted. Uh, I feel like I've been going to bed late, getting up early, um, you know, working 40 hours a week at a retail job. We've got a toddler at home, got this podcast going. So, um, but I am almost there. So thank you all for your thoughts, uh, for your prayers, the encouraging words that many of you do send me um, on a regular basis. I do appreciate uh, that for sure. And uh, once this is done and handed in, there are some new and fun things coming down the pipeline um, on the podcast. So uh, we're going to kick off February, just to give you kind of a, a quick look, uh, with a three-part series. Um, it's going to be a blog series, so I'm going to write some blog posts, and then the podcast episodes will be uh, me talking through those posts a little bit. And uh, then at the end of February, I have a very special guest uh, coming on of the podcast, and I am super excited. I can't even believe that I'm going to be able to talk to this guy. That's how excited I am. This guy is, has made a big impact um, on me, on my thinking, um, and on the church at large. So it's going to be a really uh, fun conversation that you can look forward to. I will let you know later on in February um, who it is and uh, what to expect. Uh, but anyways, all that to say, again, this is episode number 26, my conversation with Dr. Phil Snyder, what the Bible really says about homosexuality. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the What If Project podcast. Uh, my name is Glenn Sieper, and this is episode number three. And the very first episode, actually, with a guest. Uh, and I'm super excited about him. His name is Dr. Phil Snyder, and he's an author, activist, pastor, and teacher. Uh, Phil, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you along. Oh, it's great to be uh, on the podcast. I appreciate you having me. I didn't realize I was your first uh, guest, so uh, all the better. Absolutely. And we've got the time change all figured out. I was <laughs> waiting for you an hour ago. I'm like, where is Phil? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I was all proud of myself. I was like running on time. I had a meeting uh, before, but I was sure I'd be back in my office uh, to, to have this. And then uh, I, I, I got here and started checking my uh, Twitter feed just to make sure I had the link right. I was like, oh, no time differential. Uh Oh, so I'm, yeah. I'm glad it still worked out. I was like driving to Starbucks to get a coffee. And then I looked up where I like, looked up your website. So you're in Missouri and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> what's the Missouri time right now? Google. It's like, <laughs> right, right. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. well, yeah. This is what it is. So we're here now. So that's good. Yeah. Right on, right on. Absolutely. So, um, just for the listeners, I learned about Phil, uh, back in July, just about a month ago when I attended the uh, wild goose festival in hot springs, North Carolina, and I picked up his book. It's called Justice Calls, uh, Sermons of Welcome and Affirmation for the LGBTQ Community. So uh, that said, Phil, I'll have you know that I stalked you like all over the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I Googled Phil Snyder just for fun, and uh, people do have their uh, opinions of you, to put it mildly. 
Uh, yeah, that is true. That is true. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. Um, <laughs> it happens, right? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, not much control over it, unfortunately. Yep. And uh, also, also learned in chatting with you on Twitter that you are a Orioles fan, and we talked oh, about big that time. a little bit before we recorded. Uh, but I'm obviously a Yankees fan, so a little bit of a rivalry there. Yeah, no doubt. I, I don't know how much of a rivalry it can truly be because like, we're really never giving you much competition. And so like, uh, if like we would like at any point along the way, really threaten for a title, you know, consistently, then we might be able to be, uh, uh close to a rivalry, but, but, uh, unfortunately, uh, unlike the Sox, we just can't keep up with the Yankees. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Sox are doing crazy this year. I don't know what their deal is, but oh, they're like uh, abnormal. Yeah, they're incredible. I think incredible. they're 50 games over 500 right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the American League East is always tough, but especially this year. And um, I'm just glad that Baltimore, you know, didn't uh, trade uh, Manny Machado to either Boston or New York. That that would have, that L.A. is a perfect location. Yeah, just there. get him on the other side of the, of the country. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'll be too asleep to watch him at night and remember him as an Oriole and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man, that's funny. Um, but, you know, you could probably introduce yourself uh, way, way better than, than I can. So uh, before we get too far into the conversation and the topic of baseball takes over, uh, would you just share with me and maybe our listeners a little bit about, you know, who you are, uh, what you do, what makes you tick, that sort of stuff? Yeah, sure. Um, well, uh, again, appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm a pastor, you know, uh, more than anything else. Uh, and uh, most of what I do uh, is out of uh, my pastoral ministry. So I do a lot of writing as well. Hmm. And uh, I'm a pastor at a church called uh, Brentwood Christian. It's in Springfield, Missouri, kind of the heart of the Bible Belt. Hmm. That's where I'm from. Uh, I went to a seminary uh, at Phillips Theological Seminary and then later at Chicago Theological Seminary. Uh, hmm. But I ended up um, uh, in Springfield, which is my hometown. And, and I've been back here for about 15 years. And and I feel really lucky uh, to be a pastor at Brentwood Christian Church. It's just an amazing uh, group of people. Um, and uh, we are uh, in the Bible Belt. And, and so, yeah, uh, yeah. Over here in Charlotte. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's kind of, kind of a, a challenge at times, you know, to, yeah. to be a, a progressive congregation in the Bible Belt. But also uh, there are a lot of advantages to that. And, and mm. I'm super, super grateful to be part of this um, community of faith. And uh, so uh, I also do uh, some teaching. Uh, so I teach at Missouri State University, and uh, sometimes I teach at Drury University. I, I've taught at Phillips Theological Seminary, hmm. um, and then uh, you mentioned the Justice Calls book. Uh, yeah. A lot of a lot of my heart uh, is is on those pages. Uh, there's a new book coming out uh, called Preaching as Resistance, hmm. um, and I, I don't do a lot of writing, you know, uh, but uh, it's it's one of those things that uh, sometimes my heart's really into a project and. Um, I, I do a lot of work related to, to preaching and, and, and how can uh, churches uh, and pastors uh, effectively um, cultivate sites where, where there is uh, transformation and hope uh, as, we, as we seek justice, uh, as we journey together. So, so those are all things that are um, a part of my work at Brentwood. And, and so they play out in different ways. Hmm, that's really good. I like how in your book, um, Justice Calls, and I believe resistance is the same way where you're kind of like the editor bringing in yes. other voices. Yeah. I love the idea that you, you know, you don't just write the book, but you actually bring in other people to share their thoughts and their ideas. I think that's really powerful. Oh, that's cool to hear. I mean, the yeah. real joy of being a part of those kinds of books is just collaborating with incredible human beings that mm. are trying to do this work. And um, one of the things that I, I try to do is 
is get voices from a lot of different locations, social context, yeah. uh, geographical places um, around the country, just so folks will know that, that this is happening, you know, everywhere. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's not just like, uh, you know, the, a lot of times people think about um, uh, churches that, that tend to be uh, uh, passionate about social justice and such. Um, a lot of times people think about that as just being like the big steeples in the blue states. Yeah. But, you know, it's playing out in the rural congregations and the red states as well. And, mm-hmm. and I want to give voice to that. And, and there's so many incredible preachers out there. I mean, it's amazing to me uh, how many good sermons just week in and week out are, are being preached that, that maybe there's only going to be, you know, 50, 100 people that, that hear them. You, you never know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but they're life changing and transformative. And, and I love being a part of projects that kind of give voice to that because, you know, the good preaching doesn't just happen like in, in the big steeples among the big names or always on the, the speaking circuit. You know, it, it's so many pastors and many of whom, you know, uh, history may never recall uh, in terms of their names and such. Uh, but, but they're just part of, of, of the work of justice and solidarity, uh, working toward compassion and peace and equality uh, in their respective communities. And I'm just so uh, honored to uh, to know them, and I'm and I'm proud to to have collaborated with them. That's so cool. Yeah, we typically think that the you know the bigger churches have the the big voices, and they have the big preachers, and they have the ones who are making all the you know the um, the noise, so to speak. But like I went to, when I went to Wild Goose, that was my first time there. Like there were all these pastors and preachers and people I never even heard of before. But like the message that they were bringing, I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, yeah, where, yeah. where are you people? Yeah. How do I, find <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I love that about wild goose. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I remember, uh, uh, my first time I was there and, and, and just the incredible wisdom, uh, that was shared by so many different people and mm. so many people I, I had not met. It's, you know, I, I think we kind of condition ourselves to, to look for the big names on the speaking circuit and, yeah. and that kind of, a lot of times, you know, draws a, a person's attention to a certain event or whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, but there, there are so many gifts just across the board uh, in, in the churches. And, and also, you know, uh, those who are doing uh, incredible work outside of the church, I, you know, the work of love and justice and compassion, you know, it, it's not contained to the churches. And, and oftentimes, uh, you know, it, it's not the big names. Um, it, it's, it's sometimes it's the, the people who, who uh, you, you may, you know, they may not, they may have like five followers on Twitter. They may not have a Twitter account, whatever it might be. Uh, but but they're making a huge difference and yeah. uh, just uh, grateful for them. Absolutely. Uh, amen to that. Um, so your big area of activism, uh, or part of it anyway, lies in your fight for the uh, LGBTQ community to have equal rights um, in the world and in the church. And um, I read, obviously, your book, uh, actually, I'm about three quarters of the way through. Um, and I listened to your YouTube video that has like 5 million views. That's what comes up <laughs> yeah. when I first put in your name. Um, <laughs> My 15 minutes of fame. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you gave a really a, a really great speech in, in a way I never thought of it um, for the LGBTQ rights. And um, I have to say, like, just to be really honest with you and even with our listeners before we jump in, I loved it. But like 10 years ago, I probably would have hated it. And I uh, would have written like a really angry blog about you. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And I say that because like right now, you know, I'm on the side of the spectrum that says homosexuality and everything that falls within that um, LGBTQ phrase um, is not a sin. Um, but that's where I am now. But that's not where I was like 10 years ago and even yeah. five years ago, if I'm being honest, like um, a lot of spiritual people might say I've definitely experienced like um, an evolution of faith. It's grown. Um, it's changed over the years. And so I'm at this like very interesting place in my faith. And I think 
that maybe some of our listeners might be there too. And that's really what I wanted to talk to you about um, today and just kind of pick your brain um, a little bit. Uh, I'm at a point where my convictions have changed. Like I've moved from saying homosexuality is a sin um, all the way over to saying homosexuality is not a sin. Um, even though my understanding of how to read my Bible and some of the verses that reference homosexuality hasn't really quite caught up. Like I'm still trying to figure out what to do with some, with some verses. Um, I just don't know how to read some of them through a lens that's welcoming um, and affirming of the LGBTQ community. And I think that a fair amount of our listeners might kind of fall um, in the same ballpark where, where they say we really should be welcoming. We really should be affirming. Like that's the way of Jesus. But then again, Paul says some pretty harsh, seemingly harsh things like in the book of Romans about homosexuality. So does that make sense? Kind of where I'm coming oh, yeah. from? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I, I have to remind uh, myself frequently that I have not mm-hmm. always been where I am. Sure. You know, I grew up in a religious community, a Christian environment where, um, you know, if a, if a person was, was, was gay, it was viewed as a sin. And yeah. I, re- I remember being a part of youth group where, where we would try to pray the gay away. Uh, mm. One of my dear friends, um, you know, we, we went through that youth group together and, and he, I remember would always be uh, seeking counseling um, mm. and, and we would always talk about trying to free him, you know, from the oppression of being gay and such. And, yeah. um, and, and, then it, you know, it never dawned on me at the time that, that maybe, you know, he is not being sinful. Maybe he is just who God created him mm. to be. Yeah. That wasn't even on my radar screen. Right. Sure. And, and so it was over the course of, of many years where, you know, my own uh, mind changed and, and the way in which uh, I understood scripture, uh, you know, I, I feel like I've, I've gone more deeply into the Bible. A lot of times there's a sense that you have to leave the Bible behind if you're going to yeah. become open and affirming. But for me, it was a more deep, you know, engagement with the Bible um, and, and a rethinking uh, through a lot of things that I just kind of, I was taught as, as a kid and in youth group and just, I kind of assumed. And so it was a really long process for me. And, and, you know, sometimes I get really frustrated that not everybody's where I am. Um, and you kind of, you know, wish everybody was. And, and uh, at least I, I, I kind of, you know, especially in the sense of, of uh, uh, dignity and equality. Um, you know, I, I wish uh, as a country, as the churches, we were much further along than we are. I have to remember that it wasn't not, it wasn't all that long ago where, where I would not have been affirming. Um, yeah. and, and so that was a turn in my life too. So, so I tried to, to remember that, um, um, you know, we are all in process and it's important uh, uh, for us as, as pastors, as Christians uh, to, to kind of give voice uh, as we can um, and, and to remember that, that maybe we didn't all, uh, just, uh, automatically arrive at where we're at today. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I was talking to my wife the other night about that same thing, just the idea that even like with this whole idea of the, what if, you know, project exploring these kinds of questions, that, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not out to try to convince the critics, you know, that there's a better way, but I'm out to give the people who are thirsty something to drink. And yeah. I, think, I think that's really the, at the heart of it is there's, everybody's on a journey and there's some people who are not going to be where I'm at. There's people who aren't going to be as far as you are, uh, but everybody's yeah. on that journey. And at one point or another, I was way back there on the other side of the road and just yeah. to kind of have compassion on myself. So where I was doing the best I could with the knowledge that I had and other people are doing the same. Yeah. I think just yeah. to keep that at the forefront of our minds is, is helpful. So that's, that's really good. Yeah. Cool. Um, so cool. 
all that to say, I mean, this is the what if project. Um, one of the questions that we ask is, you know, what if there are ways of reading the Bible um, and the stories of the Bible, the verses of the Bible that are different than the ways in which we typically do or the ways in which tradition has handed it um, to us. And so I was just hoping that you could maybe just help navigate me and our listeners through some of those more well-known passages of scripture at the church. Sometimes, you know, just to put it bluntly, almost weaponizes to push the LGBT community um, to the outer parts of the church and show us maybe a little bit of a better way to read them or a way to read them in a more faithful um, and inclusive way. Um, yeah. Yeah. So does that make sense? Where we're oh, absolutely. Go? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be happy to talk about, you know, any of those texts um, and, you know, some more um, uh, references, uh, you know, justice calls is a book that I'm really proud of and, yeah. and it, it kind of expresses the way that some of this plays out within the context of preaching. Uh, but there's some uh, other great books out there. Uh, I love Matthew Vines's book, uh, God and the Gay Christian. Uh, yeah. I highly, you know, uh, recommend that. Okay. Uh, and uh, there are uh, several other sources that, that are available that, that would get into a lot more depth for those who are interested, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times we think about, you know, what the Bible has to say about marriage or about sexuality is just really straightforward. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's the union between a man and a it's woman, black and, white, you know, yeah. black and white, you know, Genesis tells us exactly how it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are admonitions, you know, uh, against uh, two people of the same gender, you know, uh, being uh, in a relationship with one another. And, and, and we act as if, you know, what the Bible says about scripture is really straightforward. Like this is the biblical teaching. Right. But truth be told, you know, the Bible says a lot of things about marriage, right? Yes. And, and so like, if we were to look at the different approaches to marriage that are, you know, in the Bible, well, you know, we, we recognize that, that there are at least like seven different, you know, understandings of, of yeah. marriage in the Bible, uh, the most common of which being polygamy, you know, yeah, and, and there right. are a lot of examples, you know, from, from <laughs> Hebrew scripture. And, and I think King Solomon you know, had like uh, uh, some, like something like 700 wives. Yeah. Uh, but we never talk about that as being biblical marriage today, right? You right. Know, uh, we yeah, it that's but it problematic. Yeah, yeah. Very yeah. much so. And, you know, even if you look at like the New Testament, like in First Timothy, mm-hmm. you know, there's a sense that, you know, bishops should be the husband of one wife, which by implication uh, means that, that, that polygamy was still a somewhat common practice, even among, you know, Christians uh, in the New Testament period. So, so, you know, the, the Bible is, is, I wish we could read it just straightforward. Um, and I wish there was just a plain sense to it, but it requires a lot of investigation and a lot of interpretation. And, and so there, are, you know, it, polygamy is, is, is a, a model of, of, of marriage uh, in, in the biblical text, you know, so is a, a man, you know, plus concubines, uh, a man, you know, plus uh, a, a woman and the woman's property, yeah. You know, the law of liberate marriage, you know, uh, where a man is supposed to um, uh, marry uh, his brother's uh, wife uh, if, if, if the brother passes away. I should say the brother, you know, the marry the brother's widow. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, there's some really problematic, problematic texts uh, as well, kind of that have to do with um, uh, warfare mm-hmm. and and uh, taking women as wives um, as prisoners of war and such, uh, like in Deuteronomy 21. Um, and then, you know, also we've got to keep in mind that throughout the biblical text, like women are property. Yeah. And I don't think there are many people who want to talk about biblical marriage today in terms of women being 
That's right. Property. That's yeah. like one thing we would likely agree on in the church in right. the United States. Yeah. Uh, so the Bible affirms like at least eight forms of marriage, uh, yeah. with polygamy being the standard. And and whenever we you know read back uh, and 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 look at you know the Bible as 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 just equating marriage between one man and one woman, we're actually privileging a very modern understanding. Uh, of marriage that actually is is not necessarily representative within the pages of the Bible. So yeah. so that that's a kind of a quick you know point of reference to say that that whenever we look at uh, relationships in the Bible, they're not nearly as straightforward as we're often led to believe. Yeah, that's really good. And I think that's a really solid uh, foundation to lay for the rest of our conversation because really the the context of the passages is the most important. And you know sometimes we read the Bible, and we open up the pages and we just read it through our 2018 lens and think that we can immediately understand it at that surface level. But the reality is there's many, many layers to it, as you were saying, and there's multiple pictures of marriage in the Bible, not just the one idea that the church might have in mind today. Yeah. So that's, that's really good. Yeah. I remember I used to see the bumper sticker about, you know, standing for uh, biblical family values or family values voters. Yeah. Like I was always like, well, which family values? Right. Which, which one are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah. Cool. All right. So I have uh, just really three questions for you Four, if we have time, but I don't want to keep you um, all day because I could pick your brain about this stuff for forever. I'm good. As um, long as I get my daughter, by the time she's out of school, I'll be in good shape. There was one time that my wife and I miscommunicated. Um, <laughs> uh, like it was the first day of school too. And today in Springfield, it's the first day of school. And I, uh, I thought my wife was, was getting my daughter and my wife thought I was getting. Oh no. Um, and so, so, um, neither of us showed up when we got the, the call from the school at like four o'clock and I saw oh, on caller ID it was the school it was like, Oh no. Uh, so anyway, so, so, uh, my wife and I have sworn that we will never allow that to happen on the first day of school again. That's not a good way to start. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so yeah, so I got three, three questions. I want to talk to you about Adam and Eve. I want to talk to you about Leviticus, um, some of Paul's words in Romans. And then if we have the time, we'll head into the territory of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, which is sometimes the like, a bigger go-to passage for people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I want to start with Adam and Eve. Um, Cause this is kind of where I began in my, in my journey. Um, I was taught in school and I went to a, a Christian middle school and high school. So like a fairly, what my town considered to be like a mega church. Um, they had a, a school there. So from the fourth through 12th grade, um, I was there Bible classes every day chapel service every Thursday. Um, so in school, church, Sunday school, I was taught that homosexuality is a sin uh, because God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Yeah. That yeah. was just the phrase that everybody right. used. They literally said that like in the classroom uh, right. came out of the words of a teacher. And I feel like that's such a horrible, like really just silly thing to say, but you know, that's what I was taught. And that's what a lot of people do believe. Um, so the question then is, you know, how can we read the story of Adam and Eve um, in a way that includes the LGBTQ community instead of pushing them away or using it to outcast them? Sure, sure. Um, well, you know, we, we are often uh, led to, to read Genesis uh, along very binary lines, you know, right. in that regard, especially in terms of very gendered, you know, uh, lines, uh, yeah. man and woman. Um, you know, I, I always think uh, a few things come into play. 
whenever we're talking about uh, uh, the book of Genesis and, and really, you know, text as a whole, you know, th- these texts are trying to express what it means to be deeply human. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what do we believe uh, is ultimate about life, existence, uh, relationships with God? And uh, these are stories uh, about um, uh, human beings cre- created by God. Um, and if, if somebody really wants to go on a literal road, like straight, straight up literal road, uh, well, God created uh, Adam and Eve, uh, and, and this is a literal reading of Genesis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're going to take that road, then you've also got to begin asking the awkward questions that maybe we start thinking about like in seventh or eighth grade or ninth grade, like in Sunday school class. And, and my friend Christian, he was in Sunday school class. He, he wrote this series of books called the Band Books about the Bible, uh, band, mm-hmm. band, Christ, band Christian, sorry, sorry. Band questions about Christians, band questions about the Bible, yeah. uh, band questions, uh, the whole series. And he tells a story uh, in the preface about how he had a Bible thrown at him by a youth minister because he was asking too many questions in Sunday school. Really? And, and, and it's a great story. I would give anything to know if it's like really, really exactly how it happened. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, he was asking all kinds of questions uh, about Genesis. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and one of these is, is like, so, so if we're going to read Genesis literally, about Adam and Eve, uh, well, then we begin to ask, well, okay, so if Adam and Eve had kids, how did their kids have kids and right. things like that? Yeah. And we get into some really kind of awkward territory pretty quickly and uh, things that the Bible would condemn pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the biblical stories, especially, you know, the ones at the beginning of Genesis, these, these are stories that, that uh, are, you know, uh, trying to make sense of, of, of how we got to where we are and, and who we are. And, and, and so um, if we try to read them as, as strict kinds of uh, prescribed orders of existence uh, mm. from a scientific lens or a biological lens, uh, I, I think we've really missed the point of yeah. these stories. And, mm. and, and the, you know, when God created, God created and called everything good and and God is, is, is the creator of a very diverse um, uh, uh, world. And, and, and so uh, our, our world uh, consists of, of, of men and women, uh, some men and women who identify as cis and hetero, and, and other men and women who do not identify as cis or hetero and, and do not necessarily identify um, or are, are not, you know, binary in such a way. And, and so a lot of times we read binary uh, kinds of approaches to uh, especially uh, gendering human beings uh, that um, are oftentimes reflective of the way that as a culture we have come to uh, understand gender. Uh, but God's creation is much more diverse, um, and uh, there, are, there are those who, who love people of another, uh, of another gender, and there are those who, who love people of the same gender. Uh, there are those who are binary. Um, there are those who are non-binary. And if, if we believe that God is the creator um, of all things and, and God called creation good, then it leads to believe, uh, it leads us to believe also that uh, God created uh, those who are uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender, God created them being good. Yeah. And, and so uh, I really hold to the affirmation of the dignity of all humanity um, that is expressed in the text in Genesis. And um, part of the beauty of, of those texts is, is that all are made in the image of God, male and female created in the image of God. Um, and if, if, if a person wants to read Genesis literally um, uh, about there being, you know, just two people originally and uh, uh, a man and a woman uh, and, and 
want to follow that road. There's, there's not a lot I can say, uh, but, but those are stories that, that have to do with trying to express uh, uh, how we understand ourselves, how we understand our world. And uh, God created uh, a, 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 in ways in which um, God's creation still continues. So, so yeah. creation wasn't like, you know, it began and that was it. Creation's always unfolding and, and, and we are part of God's beautiful creation. And, and God creates uh, uh, in different ways. And, and I think part of the way we honor God's creation is honoring the ways in which God creates. That's good. Yeah. Mm. I like that. Um, I like early on, you said that, um, you know, important pieces that, you know, the book of Genesis, and I think even a lot of the books of the, the that would be in the, the Torah are, you know, not necessarily historical records of this is what happened. This is how it happened. Um, you know, God made Adam and Eve and from there came the whole human race. But, you know, like you said, it's about people trying to understand what it means to be human and to live in relationship with Yahweh, to live in relationship with God. And um, I think, and you can correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I think that story of Adam and Eve seems to be more about companionship than it does about um, anything else. Like God's Absolutely. desire for people to have each other, whatever yeah. that might look like. Yeah, there's a great sermon in the Justice Calls book by uh, Rita Brock, and yes. it's on that precise thing. And sure. uh, I, I highly recommend it um, uh, to everyone. Also, Robin Henderson Espinoza mm. has a, a wonderful sermon in the Preaching as a Resistance book, which will be out uh, in October. And I say this not so people go and buy the book. I, I yeah. don't get hardly any money from book sales. It's like a su- like 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 next to nothing. That's what a lot um, of people say. And, and yeah. So, yeah, Christian publishing industry, unless you're like you know, like a Brian McLaren or somebody like that. It's, it's not really the way that you, you know, make a living. Yeah. Um, and, and, and these, these, these books are ones that, you know, we do because they're close to our heart and, 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 mm. and we can't not, you know, uh, write them or can't not be a part of them. Sure. And, and so, uh, you know, uh, it's not as if uh, Robin or Rita or, or, or I'm going to make a lot of money recommending these. Yeah. <laughs> I want people to know about, you know, it's, it's not, sure. we're not trying to commodify our work. We just want the work to be out there for people to, to easily yeah. know, uh, access. And, uh, so, so right on, you know, uh, and, 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 uh, uh, the companionship piece is, is really important uh, to both of those uh, sermons. Uh, so I, I, I highly recommend those. And, you know, I mean, I, I think about uh, uh, the way uh, we read those texts, like, like uh, you know, if, if we look at Adam and Eve just in, in, in Genesis as a whole, just as a literal document, I think we miss out on a lot. So, mm-hmm. so we think about, you know, the fall and, 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 you know, talking snakes and, and being banished from the Garden of Eden. And they seem like, you know, growing up, they, to me, over the course of time, especially as I got into college, they seem like fantastic stories that couldn't really be drawn. I mean, snakes don't talk. Right, you know, exactly. You know, you, no matter how many <laughs> documentaries on the history, I mean, there was like a little place called the Garden of I mean, where people were banished from, there's like a, a, a swords, you know, kind of angelic swords person, yeah. you know, keeping you from getting back. I mean, that stuff uh, on a literal level doesn't always seem to make a lot of sense. But if you think about, you know, the way that, you know, there's a time in which in our lives things felt right, but we did something that we regret, we goofed up somehow. And, and, you know, no matter how hard we try, we can't get back to that place where things were right, even though we want to get back there so desperately. That, in many ways, those are the stories of our lives. Yeah. And, and these stories come alive when we understand that, like their figurative sense or their metaphoric mm-hmm. sense. And whenever we try to understand them just from a purely literal sense, we actually lose out on the stories. We yeah. miss out on the meaning. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so the meaning is opened up to us whenever we actually understand the genre of the text. So, you know, another example uh, uh, is, is the book of Jonah. You know, if we understand the book of Jonah for for its genre and what it's trying to say, all of a sudden the story comes alive. So, yeah. so you know, there, there are folks that have a hard time believing that a person could live in the belly of a whale or a big fish. Or, sorry, I should say big fish. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and for like, you know, three days and three nights and people are like, well, oh, that story can't be true. And then you're like, well, but, but who of us, you know, at, you know, at times there's been something that, that we see wrong with the world. But yet we know if we give voice to that, we will risk something. If we yeah. That and so we're afraid, so we run away. I mean, the story of Jonah, in many ways, is the story of our lives. Yet God still takes care of us, even in the midst of our own struggles and our own fears, encouraging us to still try to speak truth to power, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and and so those stories just come alive when we when we look at them for their metaphoric value and figurative value, and not you know just from a purely wooden literal sense. Absolutely. Uh, Pete Enns has a really great point about this in one of his books. He talks about how um, you know Genesis was written the early parts anyway, most likely during the Babylonian exile yeah, where the, yeah. where the Jews are trying to make sense of like, what in the world happened to us? Like, where did we go wrong? What happened? So they, they wrote these stories down um, as a means of, um, you know, handing them down to the future generations. So they say, Hey, don't do what we did. Um, yeah. It's going to yeah. go wrong if you do. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Uh, you know, Genesis one, I mean, I, I don't want to go too off topic yeah. Yeah. with this, but like Genesis one, to your point, you know, a lot of times uh, folk will think that that's written as like some sort of scientific description of the way the world was put together. Right. Uh, no, I mean, that, that is, uh, was, was written uh, within the context of exile by people trying to, to make sense of, of how do you worship your God when you're away from your homeland. And, and it becomes this, this, this poem that's used in worship saying that well, our God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, mm-hmm. which is saying that we can even be in exile and yet God's presence is with us, which right. was back then a fairly radical kind of uh, concept. Yeah, absolutely. Not the page that everybody was on. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so that's, that's good. That's helpful stuff with Adam and Eve. Let's talk about the second area. Let's talk about um, the book of Leviticus, some light reading there, right? <laughs> <laughs> Very light reading. <laughs> Very light reading, no yeah, big deal. Yeah. Um, and I don't even know, actually, by the way, I don't know if you heard of it, but um, Rob Bell recently released a audio commentary um, part one on the book of Leviticus. Um, it's on his website. He talks all through kind of how to read it through a historical lens. I haven't nice. picked it up yet, but it's apparently supposed to be very interesting. So Nice. Yeah, it sounds exactly like what Rob Bell might do. Uh, yeah. That's fun. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm sure he makes Leviticus interesting. I'm sure, as very few people probably can. But um, Leviticus 18.22 um, is known. I looked it up on, I was reading about it online a little bit. And a lot of people refer to it as a uh, clobber verse, meaning that it leaves no room for misunderstanding. It completely condemns homosexuality, the LGBTQ community. Um, you know, it's a sin. And this is what it says. This is the King James Version because it sounds more uh, scary there. But it says, <laughs> uh, thou shall not lie with mankind um, as with womankind, as it is an abomination. Um, so pretty strong, strong words. Um, but how can we hold on to this belief um, that homosexuality is not a sin We're welcoming we're affirming, but yet we're faced with those kinds of words um, in the Bible that seem on the surface anyway, to be very black and white. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, I mean, a lot of things to say, Um, you know, first thing, I don't know if you have the Bible verse handy. Uh, Could you read the entire verse? Yeah. Let me grab my, 
Yeah. Let me grab my Bible. Sorry. It's like the old Bible drill. And speaking of Rob Bell. I'm going, I'm going fast. Yeah. <laughs> I remember my very first uh, uh, job in a church. I was a youth minister in the very first Sunday school. I invited them all to open uh, their uh, Bibles. I think it was something like Leviticus. And we're going to take turns reading uh, one verse each going around in a circle. Mm. They looked at me like, what is this person doing? Right. And, uh, then I told them I was just kidding. That's really not what we were going right. to do. All right, so, anyway, so if you've got the whole verse there, I would encourage you to read it. Let's see. Leviticus 18.22. Uh, let's see. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. And then you want me to go to 23? Oh, sorry. I thought that there was a second part of that that says they shall be put to death. Um, no, but I know that is in the book of Leviticus. I think that's somewhere else though. Oh, okay. So I've got the that's wrong one. Sorry. No worries. Okay. So, um, uh, basically, uh, with, with that text, like the condemnation is that, uh, uh, if you, uh, lie with a person, if a man lies with a man, as a man lies with a woman, they're supposed to be put to death. Yeah. Um, and, and so I always ask people if, if they are, um, willing to truly follow that verse. Right. You, you know, gotta follow uh, one part. You gotta follow the whole thing, right? Like, at, at which point do you do you not? So, like, whenever Jesus, you know, talks about uh, uh, if your right eye causes you to sin, you know, cut it out. Mm. Uh, you know, because you don't want to go into Gehenna. Well, is, is is if Gehenna is literal, the flames of hell? Well, uh, is Jesus being literal too about you know cutting out your eye? Well, no. Um, and and so um, you know, is a person willing to? really truly follow that text because if if you're going to say that this is the command of god then the command also uh then is to um uh basically uh kill uh, uh those who who lie with one another right and so so the first thing i would say is that is that people you know tend to 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 read the bible partially mm. um and 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 they may claim that they're right reading the bible in full but but to read the bible in full would I don't know many people who would be willing to, to say that they're going to uh, execute those uh, who yeah. do such a thing. So, mm-hmm. so that's, that's just kind of a, the first thing to say, but, but also, you know, it's important again, for us to point out that the different context in, in which uh, we live today as compared to when the Bible was written. So for like the ancients, like economic survival, it depended on large families. Yeah. And so this related like uh, an agrarian culture, but also the need to have a lot of children in order to like build a, a strong self-defense. If, if you think about like the history of Israel, um, Israel was always um, uh, feeling as if uh, uh, it was uh, it, you, one. It was just very vulnerable, uh, yeah. and so so you can look at uh, the um, uh, Assyrian Empire or, or the Egyptian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, yeah. uh, the Greeks, the Romans. Uh, there's a lot of vulnerability there to to this uh, uh, to this nation and. And, and so the idea was you need to have uh, as many children as possible in order to have a strong self-defense, which means you don't waste opportunities mm. to procreate. Yeah. That's one of the reasons there's such an emphasis on procreation uh, in the Hebrew Bible, uh, because, uh, you know, you need to have large families uh, for agrarian needs, but also in order to, to fortify your defenses. And, mm. and so if, if men lie with men, they waste a chance you know, uh, to procreate. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that became a, a major, uh, kind of, uh, a point of emphasis. Um, and then, um, uh, this is, you know, much of the reason why brothers of those who died without children were, 
supposed to have, you know, sexual relations with their late brother's widow in order to bear children. You know, same kind of ideas at work that uh, they were right marriage. Um, so, um, so there's that at work. And, mm-hmm. and, and so um, that's one thing, you know, to, to, you know, keep in mind. Um, and, and it may well be that like the writers of Leviticus would be horrified by men wasting opportunities to procreate with women. Um, but, you know, they would be equally horrified by the vast majority of, of heterosexual sex, you know, monogamous American marriages today that oftentimes occur without, you know, any intention of conception and oftentimes occur with active interventions to prevent conception. Right. Yeah. And, and so but we don't hear a lot about that. Uh, so we just have to uh, keep all of that in mind that um, the, the, the idea of needing to procreate was very uh, important in that time and place. Today, we live in a world where overpopulation is the concern, you know, yeah. and, and do we necessarily have the same kinds of context at, at play. Mm. Uh, so so there's that, you know, and, and, and so, you know, there are passages in Leviticus that, that you know, I, I don't think there are many of us who try to say that, that these passages do not condemn, you know, men lying uh, with men as they would lie with women. But we've got to understand the context, first of all, you know, the importance yeah. of, of procreation in order to to build large families. But also there was ritualistic temple prostitution associated with the worship of pagan gods. Yeah. There were purity codes, you know, um, to state that such, you know, the different kinds of intercourse, like certain types of, of intercourse between a man and a menstruating woman, for example, you know, that would make one impure. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of this has to do with ritual purity laws rather than ethical responsibility. So, so all of those dynamics come into play that, that really honestly are, are not of much concern to, to modern day readers. So yeah. a lot of times we are, are reading things into the text that are not even a part of the text. Mm. Yeah, I think that goes back to what we said earlier about, you know, when we read the Bible through our 2018 lens and we forget that it was written by different people in a different culture, living in different times with different things to be concerned about. And I never even really thought about the idea that you just brought up that, you know, in that time, childbearing was such a huge thing because literally people were building armies out of their families. And by missing out on that, by having, for instance, two men being together, not being able to bear a child, that could really hamper um, that, that family strength, so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That was a huge thing. And I also think too, like, you know, you kind of mentioned this, that I think those writers of Leviticus, I don't know, you think about if they were living today, I think that they would also be outraged at the idea that their words are being used to outcast a group of people from the church. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, you, 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 a lot of times, uh, uh, in all sincerity, um, you know, Leviticus is one of those uh, books of the Bible that, that does have a lot of laws that, that pertain to a particular place and time. And so a lot of Christians don't you know, pay that much attention. But, but you have these beautiful, beautiful admonitions about, about loving neighbor yeah. and, and, and moves, you know, that there, there's a tension and the community is wrestling with, with, you know, how do we live? What's our, what's our community supposed to look like? Uh, what kind of ethical norms are supposed to guide us? And we all wrestle with those questions. And, yeah. and the, the United States right now is, is wrestling with some similar questions in, in regard to, to uh, how you know, do we treat people uh, who are immigrants? How do we treat yeah. people who don't share the same faith uh, as the majority? I mean, uh, those, those are kind of questions that human beings have asked through the ages. And so, 
So a lot of times the Bible, I love the way Rachel Held Evans says, the Bible opens the conversation. It doesn't close the conversation. Yeah. It invites us to be part of the conversation. That's right. Yeah, we often look at the Bible as it's like the hammer that comes down on whatever issue that we might be having. So in yeah. reality, like you said, it just opens up the door for us to walk in and explore. Yeah, and we're always reading it partially. So, so yeah. like, you know, a person may say that the Bible is absolutely, you know, against homosexuality, uh, even though like the term homosexuality is appearing in the Bible, you know, was is a later English kind of, of yeah. translation that, that's fairly recent. But, you know, um, like in my town, there are all kinds of, uh, I won't say the name of the denomination, mm-hmm. but, but there are all, kind, all kinds of denominational credit unions. And, and, and this denomination tends to be very uh, anti-LGBT. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and yet, at the same time, they sponsor all kinds of credit unions. And, and the Bible is, it has way more things to, to say uh, that would uh, condemn lending money with interest, usury, yeah, than, right. than would condemn you know, two people of the same gender who share in a loving, caring relationship. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but we don't bat an eye at the credit unions. We'll, we'll pass yeah. by the credit unions daily, you know, yeah. and, and nobody you know, says that's unbiblical. But it's actually far more unbiblical than um, uh, uh, saying that 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 uh, LGBT uh, persons should be treated equally with, with with dignity and marriages should be honored, and yeah. even Jesus himself said to lend without expecting anything in return. And so, I mean, for Christians, Jesus is like the ultimate kind of uh, ethical guide, and 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 yet we again don't bat an eye at at lending money with interest, even though the Bible absolutely condemns and forbids it. And it wasn't until John Calvin that the church became okay with it. Yeah. Mm. That's really good. I mean, can't, we can't, can't like cherry pick verses out of books that we just want to apply to a situation that we're passionate about, right? Yeah, you know, we have to uh, operate from, from a hermeneutic or, uh, yeah. of integrity uh, in, in which we really think about uh, a, a number of, of, of different um, approaches to a text in which we, we honor the text for what it is, which I understand it within its uh, yeah. appropriate context. And, and also, what are the, the, the guiding principles? You know, a friend of mine uh, who was a retired Jewish rabbi, she talked about when she would uh, open the Torah uh, to the middle, it, it, it would open to the text saying, you know, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And, and wow. for her, she would interpret all of, 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 of the Torah, all of the law within, you know, uh, that light. And, you know, as a Christian, you know, I, I think about this in terms of, of, of the revelation of God in Christ and, and to paraphrase what what uh someone uh once told me went back to carl bart i don't have the original source but but uh uh carl bart is uh supposedly said at one point along the way and whether it was bart who said it or somebody else i don't know but i really like it you know um uh, the, the saying is that uh, the bible is the word of god insofar as it conforms to the image of god as revealed in jesus christ yeah so, so whenever i interpret text i'm interpreting from the the measure uh, of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And I, I love what St. Augustine uh, once said. He said, if love is the only measure, then the only measure of love is love without measure. Uh, yeah. For me, that, that is the uh, ultimate norm and guide to interpret uh, the canon of texts we have because they are multifaceted. They say different things. There are times where the Bible is in conflict with itself, and, and there are times in which the context is different than, than the context today. And, and so interpreting, um, you know, according to, to the image of God revealed in Jesus Christ, that is the guide, that is the model for me as a pastor and also as a person of faith. Yeah, that's good. I had a, a professor in school uh, last, last year who might have been kind of going off that, that quote, but he, he said something along the lines of, sometimes in the church we get it backwards where we interpret Jesus through the lens 
of the Old Testament or even the writings of Paul, um, when in reality we should interpret the Old Testament and the writings of Paul through the lens of Jesus. Yeah, right. Yeah, there there's so many times when uh, we will assume Jesus thinks a certain thing, but we are assuming that based on uh, uh, certain uh, kinds of things we're placing onto Jesus as opposed yeah. to what Jesus actually said. And, uh, you know, what Jesus actually said and, and what the church says Jesus said are oftentimes very different things. And, yeah, sometimes uh, light years away. <laughs> light years, yeah. light years, uh, you know, frighteningly so. Yeah. That's yeah. That, the old saying, Jesus uh, came preaching uh, 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 the kingdom of God and, and what he got was the church. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right. So uh, one last one, maybe two, but let's talk about Romans. Um, Romans 1, 26 and 27. Um, In my Bible, this section is entitled, uh, God gives man over to his sin. And um, it says that God gave them over to shameful lusts. Um, Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned Natural relations with women were inflamed with lust for one another. Uh, men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their perversion. So when you read that, like phrases like abandoning natural relations, uh, sometimes maybe make it feel for people like Paul is saying that uh, heterosexual relationships are natural and they're the norm, whereas homosexual ones are unnatural and that God sees them um, as perverted, as Paul says, deserving of penalty, maybe punishment. And I realize that's a very surface level kind of a reading, but um, for those of us who are on the spectrum of being welcoming and affirming and accepting of the LGBTQ community, um, like what, what do these words from Paul mean for us? Like how, how should we read these things? Yeah. I mean, these are great questions uh, because Paul does say this, you know, and, and, you know, uh, and then sometimes, you know, there are things that that are in the New Testament. People will say, well, that's not really attributed to Paul, but it's still in the canon, right? So so we still have have, have to work with it and wrestle with it. So, you know, so, so Paul, you know, does say this and, um, you know, uh, you're right on. Um, It's an argument that comes from the the natural order of things, uh, kind of natural law theory. And, and so uh, Paul was saying that, that, you know, this goes against the created order. Uh, and this is one of the strongest arguments, by the way, that's, that's still made today. Yeah. Um, but also, if you argue from natural law, this is, it's kind of a precarious path, some path. It's sometimes kind of a dangerous path to tread because, yeah. you know, Paul's writings also, you know, I mean, down through the ages, they've been used to argue that slavery and patriarchal structures, that right. those things are natural. Yep. You know, and when it comes to like, you know, those kinds of situations today, I mean, we gladly admit that Paul reflected an ancient bias that no longer holds. I mean, when Paul says slaves obey your masters, there are very few people that are wanting to hold that up. Yeah. Today. I mean, if people can say that, 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 that those who went uh, on, on the Underground Railroad were wrong, you know, for, for trying to uh, disobey their masters by fleeing slavery was harry tubman harriet tubman was she wrong you know were, were yeah. the abolitionists were they wrong uh well and of course the slave owners uh and, and a lot of the preachers in the south uh they wanted to, to say that yeah yeah paul says slaves obey your masters it's in the natural order of things so they would quote saint paul well i yeah. think we would gladly you know say today that, that they got that wrong or at least we should you know yeah. um and and you know the same is true with, with paul's you know view of of women in, in, in many ways, you know, um, I, he talks about how uh, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Right. A woman 
should not teach or assume authority over a man. You know, yeah. She must be quiet. Uh, and then he appeals uh, to uh, the, the story from Genesis about Adam and Eve. So, so this is part of where that comes into. And it's all, you know, a, a piece out of the natural law. And I won't, I won't even get into the, to, to the uh, verses where, where Paul talks about women being saved through childbearing, right? Yeah, I mean, right. <laughs> these, these are things that, that the church doesn't talk a lot about. Yeah, that's a um, rabbit hole we could go down. <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, but but this call, you know, this appeal to natural order, it's kind of dangerous. Um, uh, and and I, I like the words of, of John Caputo. He's one of my very favorite uh, theologians. Yeah. Um, he says, and this is, a, I think, from a book he wrote called uh, What Would Jesus Deconstruct? Uh, I've Caputo. heard about that. Yeah. Oh, a, I, I love that book. It's yeah. one of those uh, books that kind of changed my life, changed my theology. Mm-hmm. Um, Caputo says that uh, natural law theory is notorious for serving the interest of the natural law theorist for starting with a conclusion and then working back to the idea of nature that provides them with a suitable cover. So like, you know, we see this play out in all kinds of different ways. So, so those who are powerful will oftentimes sanction their power by appealing to God, you know, saying, well, it's a, you know, God who gives me this power. Uh, but it, it, it's God's order. It's the natural order of things. So men are supposed to be in charge, you know, sure. and in our society down through the ages. So, so white men should be in charge mm-hmm. um, and, and appeals to natural order to saying this is how God wants it. We just have to be very careful about natural law arguments. Um, Paul got it wrong about women. Paul got it wrong about uh, slavery. Mm-hmm. And we don't need to if, if Paul got it wrong also about LGBT uh, persons, we you know, do, do not want to make the same mistakes. And, and also, you know, Paul was a person of, of his time. Yeah. And if he was privy to the same kind of understandings we have today, uh, like I, I didn't choose to be straight any more than, you know, someone chooses to be gay. There are a number of different factors that come into play. And, and, and if Paul understood, um, the world through a modern lens had access to the scientific understanding we have today, you know, would Paul have said the same things? Probably right. not. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that um, uh, Paul, you know, uh, talks about um, in first Corinthians and first Timothy, you know, there, there are uh, two different Greek words that Paul uses. And a lot of times they're combined. Like, so like the new international version, you know, uh, combines these Greek words as men who have sex with men. Yeah. Um, but, you know, their exact meaning is, is dependent upon context and interpretation. Sure. Um, and, and Paul is talking about in this particular context. And, and Matthew Vines uh, writes a lot about this. Danny Cortez preached an incredible sermon about this. One of the most phenomenal sermons I've ever heard in my Danny life. Cortez, you said. Uh, yeah. And, and you can Google it. Uh, uh, it, it it's uh, Danny Cortez, you know, uh, basically why my mind changed uh, okay. regarding homosexuality. And it's a very personal story he, he tells, too, that's related to his family. And it's, it's beautiful and it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, he preached the sermon uh, on the day he thought the um, elders of the church or the leaders of the church were going to vote to oust him from the church um, because of uh, his views on accepting LGBTQ people. And um, uh, he preaches this sermon, and it turns out that the elders do not oust him from the church. And mm-hmm. it's just a beautiful story across the board. So uh, I highly encourage you know folks to to look up Danny Cortez's um, sermon uh, on why his mind changed. But you know if you look at uh, Paul uh, and uh, these you know uh, uh, teachings you know from uh, the New Testament, First Corinthians and First Timothy, you know he, he is he's talking about 
uh, things that go on in, in Hellenistic culture. And he is, he is not at all in the least talking about uh, two people of the same gender uh, sharing in a mutual, loving, respectful relationship. Uh, he, he's talking uh, about uh, uh, certain rites of passage that were really common in, Gre- in the Greco-Roman world in which like adolescent boys would be subjected as, subjected as passive partners to older men of power and prestige. And the older men would display their power by relegating these adolescent boys to the passive role of women. And this was just a way of establishing the social hierarchies of the Greco-Roman culture. And, yeah. and Paul was just very anti hierarchy. So, it, you know, in Galatians, we read, it, you know, in Christ there, uh, th- these hierarchies break down. There's no more slave or free, Jew or Gentile, you know, uh, man uh, or woman, all are one in Christ. These, these Greco-Roman hierarchies, the, these socially conditioned hierarchies, they break down. And, um, you know, uh, Paul uh, is, is, is rightly, you know, pointing out uh, uh, problematic practices in Greco-Roman culture, practices that we would condemn today. Yes. But what he's not talking about are, are two people of the same gender sharing a mutual loving relationship. That, that is not the concept, talk, context that, that Paul is operating with. And, yeah. and, and, and so in, in many ways, he's speaking out against what we might term as, as being abuse and what we would speak out against today, and rightly so, because there are relationships built on power, uh, built on uh, exploitation, and they should rightly be called out. Uh, but, you know, people when they interpret those verses from first Corinthians and first Timothy, very few people understand that Hellenistic context. We just read the text and, 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 and think there's a plain meaning there, but, but the meaning actually uh, is, is, is so much more uh, complex than we even begin to understand unless we really delve deeply into the context of the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, back before you said something really good, you said that, you know, um, there's times where Paul got it wrong. And I think that, you know, given all the stuff you just talked about with the culture of what was going on in the Hellenistic times and, you know, things that we don't typically think about when we just open up our Bible and start reading it. Um, he, he might've gotten it right for his culture in his time, but it might completely miss the mark for 2018 because our culture is so much different than it was back then. We're not dealing with the same kind of issues that he was dealing with, but we're dealing with very different kinds of issues. And I think, like you said, we've had to reinterpret, Paul's words about, you know, like slavery, for instance, we've had to reinterpret his words and then we've thrown slavery out the window. And I think that, you know, perhaps now as a generation that's becoming brave enough to stand up and say, Hey, I think maybe we also have to reinterpret Paul's words about homosexuality in that community and perhaps throw this whole uh, condemning mentality out the door as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like we're, we're learning a lot, you know, uh, along the way, Hmm. Um, and, and whenever we, uh, uh, are able to understand that, that the Bible, uh, is a, is a beautiful gift, you know, yeah. to us for uh, understanding the world, you know, understanding life. Um, you know, we, we also have to have to, to understand that for the Bible to be the gift that it is, we need to understand it for what it is and not for what it is not. And yeah. the more we learn, uh, and, and especially, you know, for me, I mean, just, you know, to, to be straight up my mind changed in a lot of ways because of going to seminary and be able to understand and read the Bible, but also experiences with friends who are gay. Yeah. And and now experiences with friends uh, who are transgender or non-binary. I, I recognize uh, the the truth of their experiences. And if you think about the Wesleyan quadrilateral, you know, which we try to understand faith, you know, we, we learn 
and, and grow in wisdom based on scripture, tradition, reason, and also experience. Yeah. And all four of those things work together. And, and we ought not throw out reason and experience when we're trying to understand scripture and tradition, because a lot of times reason and experience can clarify and give us, uh, uh, move us forward in ways that scripture tradition uh, uh, might have missed. Yeah. And, and, and so, um, you know, just, just one example to, to kind of close with in, in terms of, of something that, that I often like to remind people. I mean, there, there's a, a, you know, back in my town a few years ago, um, there was a, a, a sexual orientation and gender identity ordinance. It was a non-discrimination ordinance. And, yeah. and um, it passed the city council, but unfortunately, a lot of churches uh, mobilized voters and the, the city of Springfield um, had a, uh, as part of a special vote, uh, they voted down that ordinance that um, had protected uh, 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 basic rights of LGBTQ people. So, for example, in Springfield and also in the state of Missouri, you can be fired simply for being gay. You know, and, and a lot of times people say like, "Oh, Phil, you're so courageous for speaking out." You know, uh, for equality. Well, you know, it's really different to be able to to, to say you know that that we should uh, uh, be in solidarity and care about the dignity and equality for those who are gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender, it's one thing to be able to say that. It's a whole other thing to get fired for being yeah. gay, bisexual, transgender. So there's a lot of privilege I carry around. Um, and, you know, I, I remember as, as our city was, was uh, working through uh, that vote and, and people were trying to decide, you know, what to do, a lot of the churches came out and, and they talked about how, oh, no, no, they, I mean, they, they care, you know, uh, about those who are lesbian or gay or bisexual or transgender and, and, and yet they would, you know, equate uh, what they would call homosexual orientation and practice with like anger and chemical addiction and gambling and slander and stealing and pride. And, and, and they would say that it's, it's just a sin among many other sins. And, and you know, we will, uh, uh, you know, accept and love people, you know, and, and help free them from that sin. Um, but, but what I like to, to remind people is, is, is like, okay, if, if like, you know, you are in a relationship like, and, and, and you cheat on your partner, that hurts your relationship. You can see why adultery is sinful. It hurts a relationship. Yeah. If, if, if you are, you know, struggling with addiction um, and, and you get sober, that makes your life better. Yeah. You know? uh, you're, you're freed of that. It makes your life better. Um, if you're, you know, addicted to gambling, you know, is another example that was used by one of these pastors. Um, you know, that, that can really destroy your life. Yeah. Um, and, and to be freed of that, you know, can be liberating. Mm. Um, but what hurts a person if they are gay or lesbian is, is whenever they have to repress their sexuality, whenever they, have to, whenever they have to repress who they are as God created them to be, that's what hurts them. And what frees them, what liberates them is being able to fully live into who God made them to be. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as I said in a sermon one time, you know, uh, throughout the course of my pastoral ministry, as my mind began to change, I started to notice that people who are gay, they do not need to get better. Or excuse me. People who are gay do not tend to get better over time when they try to renounce their sexuality. Yeah. You know, whenever they try to pray the gay away, when they go to reparative right. therapy, you know, this hurts them. It doesn't free them. But what, what saves them, what heals them is whenever they're able to embrace who they are as yeah. God created them to be. And I want to be part of the healing, liberating saving work of Christ, not the work of repression uh, that, that kills and hurts uh, and destroys. That is so good. Wow. 
I just took notes like a fiend. <laughs> awesome. That was really good. Cool. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you know, what you said too about, you know, we don't, you don't come to understand this stuff necessarily by sitting down with a book as much as you do living amongst, amongst a community of people. And I think for me, that was the biggest thing that triggered this whole change in mind for me is I've worked for Apple at one of their retail stores for the last eight years. And Apple is a very open, inclusive company where everybody's allowed to come in and work there. And so I've had the chance to work with so many people who are, are gay, um, people who have transitioned, um, just all different types of people from all different walks of life. And I remember just a few weeks ago, I was sitting down with somebody from my store on a break and we were talking about these kinds of things. And I said, dude, the thing that's really changed for me is like, I can't look at these people that I spend every day with who I've grown to love and understand and know their story and believe even for a second that God is upset with them and God is mad at them. And God is going to judge them because they're being who they, who they are. And so I just, I just don't believe in that kind of a God. And that was really the point that started to force me to wrestle with all this stuff and to kind of re rethink my beliefs and the things that I was raised with and the way that I read my Bible. So, uh, man, this has been really helpful. I thank you so much. Oh, I've really enjoyed it. I love you sharing that story. Uh, uh, that's just right on, and it resonates with my experiences, you know, so much. And, yeah. uh, you know, the LGBT people in Brent, Brentwood's congregation, they're just a gift to our community, and uh, I'm so grateful for them. Uh, and, and they just deepen and make our community so much better and, and beautiful and yeah. wonderful. And it's just a joy to come alongside them and, and, and pastor uh, in this community. That's so good. Um, Phil, thank you so much. I know we're just about, um, out of time. My daughter's actually yelling for me to come into her little pool. <laughs> so All right, the, awesome. Well, I should probably go get my uh, daughter from school. Yeah. yeah so I, uh, uh, do not leave her on the first day again. Well, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, thank you. One more time, the name of your new book coming out so people can go get it. It's preaching as resistance. It will be out in October. Awesome. Beautiful, sir. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, we'll be in touch on Twitter. Sounds good. Take care, Glenn. Bye-bye. Right, you too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for uh, dropping by the What If Project today. It was great to have you along. Um, Dr. Phil Snyder is such a great human being, and I hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Um, I was certainly challenged by it for sure, um, and I'm sure that you were as well. Uh, Hey, if you get time, if you could, uh, please drop by iTunes, uh, Podbean, wherever it is that you're listening to this. Leave a rating. uh, Leave a comment. And I only ask that, not because like I want to have all these ratings, but because the more ratings there are, uh, the more the algorithms on iTunes and different places work in the favor of the podcast to get it seen and into the hands of people who might be looking for something about spirituality or Christianity or Jesus or, or whatever. So the more ratings it gets, the higher up on that list it moves. So if you could drop by, uh, leave a rating, leave a comment, that would be amazing. Thank you in advance. Uh, so, so much. So again, thank you for dropping by episode number 26. Hope you guys have a fantastic week and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.